so how do you believe this Alabama team stacks up with the Alabama teams that we've seen the last couple of years? I don't think they're quite as good as they were in 2018. I believe that 2018 was the best team that that didn't win a national championship. I think that they were better than the 05 USC team, the 2002 Miami team, and the 2016 Alabama team. But I do think they're better they are than last year. Mac Jones is cooking. His ball placement every week is incredible. He continues to amaze me with that. Najee Harris is basically a Derrick Henry in college with better pass catching ability. Devontae Smith is virtually unguardable. John Mechie's connection with Mac Jones is unbelievable. Defensively, though, is where they're different. They're much, much better than they were last year. Last year, they had a lot of, um, like, freshmen and sophomore. They had some, some new guys, some guys that they had to break in because of injuries and other losing guys to the NFL. So then those guys are back this year. Plenty of experience. Malachi Moore is a star. He looks like he's going to be a future All-American, future Jim Thorpe winner. Um, they've only given up 33 points on defense their last four games. How good do you think this Alabama team is? I think you hit it on the head. They have so much talent just across the board. One of the things that concerns me a little bit is that quarterback position as opposed to last year. Obviously, no one's going to replace Tua, but when it comes to this Alabama program, you have talent, like I said, across the board, so you don't necessarily need to replace Tua. You just need to replace that distribution, and Mac Jones has done that to a T. Um, offensively, losing Jalen Waddle hurts. You don't have the Jerry Judy like you had a year ago, so on the outside, the playmakers, that looks a little bit different to me, but in terms of what they're capable of, Alabama's going to be Alabama. We know that uh, they're virtually going to run through their schedule every regular season. Even if they trip up a game or two, their season doesn't start until it comes to December, uh, late late November. That's when we really start watching Alabama and saying, okay, what is this team made of? So uh, I think the, the verdict is still out on this Bama team, but after seeing what they did to Auburn and just how much they're gaining trajectory, even without Jalen Waddle, this is a scary team, Kendall. I would very much anticipate we'll see them playing in some big-time games come January. Yeah. So interesting stat, though, with Mac Jones. I actually looked this up today. So his, to kind of put in perspective with what Tua did, his passer rating is 208. Tua's was 206.9 in 2019 and 202.3 in 2018. So just to kind of put in perspective how good Mac Jones is playing. It doesn't look like it doesn't yeah. look the same because, you know, it's not um, – a lefty out there slinging it around all over the field, but Mac Jones is incredible, and he's he's keeping pace with Kyle with Kyle Trask for the Heisman. Do you? So actually, let me go let me go to that real quick. The Heisman race, real quick. Do you do you have any changes this week? Do you think that? I know Trask has his stats are kind of like they're way out there and stuff like that. But then mm-hmm. here's Mac Jones. He's playing on the best team in America. He's playing great every week. How close do you think it is? I think it's very close, and you and I talked about it a week ago on this exact same podcast. It really is going to come down to that game in Atlanta, I believe. Uh, that game will be for the SEC, and it'll be for the Heisman Trophy. So uh, I think that's really going to be where we see one of those guys take control of this race. I know Vegas, I think, flipped this week to Kyle Trask being the front runner. I don't know if it still stands that way after this thing gets out there by the time the, the people get a hold of this great podcast that you do. But, um, yeah, man, I, I really I don't have a, a lead horse right now. I think it's so neck and neck, and both guys are playing so well down the stretch. Uh, I anticipate them both keeping pace until that national championship, or until excuse me, until the SEC championship game, uh, and that really should tell us who's going to take home that little bronze trophy, man. Right. So let's go to Ohio State. So right now they're in a scenario where they can end up playing, well, they can end up not playing in the Big Ten Championship game if one of these next two games gets canceled. 
Um, I, I saw something this morning that said it looks like their game this Saturday against Michigan State will be canceled. So then that puts them out of contention to play in the game. So here they are, maybe not playing the Big Ten Championship game, but they still are undefeated. Do you see the committee still putting them in the playoff? Yeah, that's where it gets really tricky, and that's why this year is, in a lot of people's mind, going to happen to Ashford, because how do you leave a team like Ohio State out of the Big Ten Championship game when I think we would all agree they're likely going to boat race the majority of the teams that they would see in that game. So uh, when it comes to the playoff, I think you kind of have to have some good faith and look at the track record of this team. That's pretty unorthodox to look at a team's you know resume outside of this year, and I don't think that should be the case going forward but um the sad nature of this year is that is sort of the the the, you know uh the cards that we're telling right now and so i think if you're ohio state if you're only playing one more game uh you have to dominate and they've been essentially outside the indiana game extremely dominant you and i talked about that and unpacked that a lot last week but as a whole man i personally think that ohio state is still one of the top four teams uh in the country i have a hard time making an argument for anyone else or any of other four teams being better than them. Uh, it'll be really interesting, though, to see just how much weight the committee puts into them not having a, a conference championship. Because, I mean, you're exactly right. That could be uh, the difference maker. And it has been for a lot of these other teams. Other conferences in the past have gotten deep for not having a conference championship game. It's why the Big 12 just recently put in a conference championship game a couple of years ago because they kept getting left out of the playoff, right? So that's going to be interesting to see how they choose to deal with it on a year like this. Right. So I was talking to a buddy of mine about this a couple of days ago. So we were talking about teams that could potentially get in, um, what kind of it would look like if Ohio State doesn't play in the Big Ten championship game. And I said that they will still put Ohio State in there because even though they won't have um, quite as many games, I still think they are one of the four best teams. And I think that the brand of Ohio State will carry them more than anything else because – what was it, 2017 Alabama got in when they did win the SEC championship game. One, they put them in because that's Alabama. You know the committee loves SEC teams. Two, it's the brand of Alabama that you want to have them in there. Ohio State has Justin Fields. Um, you want to see him on that stage. I know Cincinnati's undefeated. Um, A&M only has one loss. But from like a ratings perspective, it is something that they don't, say that they're talking about but we know it is something that they think about in these meetings and they want to have Ohio State in there yeah like like you mentioned with Alabama it's that Bama bump right it's sort of the same thing it's that Ohio State bump it's it's the culture it's everything that surrounds that program and um I mean just as a whole it's going to come down to how impressive Ohio State can be down the stretch who I think this hurts more than anything Kendall is not so much Ohio State's chances at a at a you know national title and get into the playoff, I think more than anything, them not playing these games is going to hurt Justin Fields like we saw it hurt Trevor Lawrence missing those games with COVID and, and having games canceled. So all in all, I'm with you. I think Ohio State is just too attractive to leave out of the, the Final Four, assuming that they run the table and, and finish the season undefeated. Yeah, the Heisman, the Heisman race is over. I know I've seen um, rankings and then um, you talked about betting odds where they still have Trevor Lawrence and Justin yeah. Fields in there. That's... That's not going to happen. I'm a degenerate, Kendall. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was the same thing when I saw I saw last year with Trevor Lawrence, and like especially like early on when he had um, all those interception problems, and I kept seeing rankings and like odds where he was in top three, and I was like, I hope people aren't putting money down that Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman because he's not even going to be at the ceremony. Like I like I hate it for him. 
and stuff like that. I think Trevor Lawrence had a chance to cement his legacy as possibly the greatest college uh, football quarterback ever if he won a Heisman in national championship. But that's not going to happen. It doesn't take away anything from what they are as players. They're two amazing players. They're both A-plus NFL prospects. They'll go one and two in the draft. But it is kind of disappointing that neither of them will get a chance to win the award. Yeah, it just doesn't really feel right. You know, you want a guy like that to go out and be able to, at the very least, have the most fair shot he could have to win the greatest award in sports. And the fact that it's not going to be a performance-based issue, but it's going to be a worldwide pandemic issue, just kind of... I mean, it makes sense why so many people are putting an asterisk next to this year uh, for postseason awards for the postseason in general. It just doesn't really feel right. You shouldn't have to go out like that. But it's a world that we're living in, and I'm sure he'll be okay and sign a nice little paycheck uh, when it comes to uh, wherever he gets drafted sometime in April. Yeah, and I think it's kind of uh, we won't be able to see him in those, uh, what was it, those Heisman House commercials, either of them. Yeah, I think that would have been, been kind of great to throw him in there. So much marketing potential with his long hair. There was a lot they could have done, but I guess we'll see. Exactly. Another Ohio he State guy. next year. He could come back next year. <laughs> <laughs> he could. Uh, but, he uh, could. Well, they just did the um, they just did senior day and they honored him. So that'd be, I mean, unless he wants to have two senior days. <laughs> <laughs> that's rough, but yeah. You never that's, know. Uh, that's probably something. That's probably a pretty good indication right there. Exactly. So... Speaking of Clemson, it seemed that they played Notre Dame, so they took care of business against North Carolina. They're going to roll through Wake Forest and Syracuse in their next two games. So that leaves just the rematch with Clemson in the ACC championship game. I don't think that they'll beat them. There's no way that they beat Clemson twice in the same season, especially with Trevor Lawrence coming back and then all their guys on defense getting healthy. But at this point right now, so they are number two. They'll still be number two tomorrow. Are they a lock to make the college football playoff? Gosh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know that anything's a lock this year. Um, I think that they've got a really great chance. I know, I know that that's obviously kind of a an odd, you know, it's it's not a secret that Notre Dame's got a pretty good shot at this thing. Uh, you mentioned it last week. They have to be competitive against Clemson to, to, in my mind, still be one of those top four teams. And I think the committee would look really hard at that too because if you have a playoff team that plays another playoff team and just absolutely thrashes them, well, I mean, how how wide is that gap, really? I mean, I think the the gap between the number two and number four team shouldn't be 30, 40 points. So they have to be competitive in that game. I'm with, I'm with you. I don't think they beat them. But when it comes down to it, if you're Notre Dame, you have to have absolutely uh, or at least a decent showing against Clemson to still, in my mind, be considered one of those top four teams. And truthfully, kind of like, I'm kind of changing my tune a little bit on this Notre Dame team. I thought they were going to lose to North Carolina going into that oh, yeah. game. I, fact, saw, I saw I, your tweet. I, I, I saw tweet. your tweet. No, I, I agreed with you. I thought that North Carolina, it looked like a trap game. A Friday game in the afternoon. You know, you got you got Fowler and Herb Street calling the game right after Thanksgiving at home. It looked like the perfect scenario. I thought North Carolina was going to pull it off. And it was the perfect scenario, and credit to Notre Dame, uh, credit to that coaching staff and those players for not falling into that trap game. I think that culture at Notre Dame is a lot more elite than I had even you know anticipated. So uh, I have since warmed up a little bit and changed my tune on Notre Dame, but got to look good against Clemson if you want to have a shot at this playoff. Right. So w- with Notre Dame, when I see, like we talked about the trap game, how they took care of business, they won by 14. It kind of reminded me of... Ohio State last year in terms of so when I saw Ohio State play last year we've we've seen them grading years past Dwayne Haskins uh, Braxton Miller JT Bear whoever you want to throw in there 
but then there's always that one game that they slip up at Purdue, at Iowa, one of these kind of lower-tier Big Ten teams. But when they dismantled everybody and they ran right through it, that's when I knew Ohio State was different. That's kind of how I feel about Notre Dame's team this year. In 18, they had those kind of you know shaky performances. They almost lost to USC at the end of the year. This year, Brian Kelly's locked in. The whole team is locked in. Every opponent that they play, they just go out there and they take care of business. And I really do think that there's a part of college football that these are still college kids, right? So it is a lot to ask 18 to 22 year olds to be on their game for three months in a row. And so in my mind, the majority of these teams are going to have one game where they slip up. Like you said, Ohio State against Purdue however many years ago. Uh, this year, I think it was Indiana. I'm not taking anything away from Indiana. I think they're a great team, but I think Ohio State showed how much they got up on them. I think um, they, you know, a more mature team without COVID, whatever it is, um, they just had a mental lapse in that game. And so I think that was the game where they slipped up a little bit, but they still found a way to win. So I really do believe in this Ohio State team a lot, and I think it's too bad that we probably won't see them play for the Big Ten. But, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, that's kind of where this Notre Dame team is at right now. They've got a great culture. They're locked in. Coach Kelly has got these guys playing great. Ian Book is playing out of his mind. They've had one of his best seasons of his career, if I'm not from a statistical standpoint, from a win-loss standpoint. So uh, Notre Dame's going to be tough to deal with down the stretch, man. Right. Actually, let's go. Let's circle back to Ohio State real quick. Let's talk about their team this year. So we talked about mm-hmm. um, kind of what's different for Alabama this year versus the teams in year, years past. With Ohio State, clearly they're not the same team that they were last year. Um, even though Master T is a very good running back and Trey Sermon is too, they don't have the same explosiveness that they had with J.K. Domas at at, a, at running back. The receivers are fine. Those are Olave and Wilson is the best duo that you'll find. But defensively, so Joe Clyde, he hit it. He's talked about it for, for weeks now. Last year, they were able to stick with the four-man rush because you couldn't block Chase Young. You can If you singled him, it was over. Even if you try to double him, he can get through it. And if you triple-teamed him, everyone else can get home. And then that just allowed them on the back end when you have two first-round corners in Arnett and Okuda that you can just play straight man across the board. And then you have Sean Wade in the slot. And then they have Jordan Fuller. I don't know how he became a six-round pick. That didn't. That was something that didn't make any sense to me, that you could be a three-year starter, a captain in Ohio State, and you were a six-round pick. And then we see what kind of steal he is for the Rams. They don't have those guys anymore. No, you're exactly right. Just across the board, they're a different team defensively, but they're still finding ways to, to thankfully get it done for, for the Ohio State faithful. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to stop some elite offense, Kendall, if they get to that Final Four. Um, I think they're a really well-coached team, and that's something that Ohio State is consistently week in and week out, year in and year out. So when it comes to those playoff games, if we see them in that, which I, I truly believe that they, they should be, whether or not they will be, will be seen, but – if they do find themselves in the playoffs, I believe that their staff is going to put them in position with that much time to prepare to be able to account for some of the talent they lost a couple years ago. Uh, what concerns me, Kendall, is, is the run game. Not so much that they haven't had production from the run game, but just there's going to be so much more that falls on Justin Fields' shoulders just because you have two really good running backs, but you had a really special running back in J.K. Dobbins. And maybe that's a little bit um, entitled of me to say for Ohio today that they you know, have – two great running backs and that they're going to be somehow, you know, playing left-handed with, with two good backs. But I think having a bell cow that you can go to every single down and just feed him and allow him to get stronger throughout the game, uh, 
I haven't necessarily been able to see that just yet from this Ohio State backfield. So it's dangerous when you put so much weight on your quarterback to be able to make plays in the run game and the pass game. I mean, he, he's he's Superman, but at the same time, kids still in college and just trying yeah. to make it happen for this for this program. So uh, if you're Justin Fields, I think there's still a lot that, that you have to do that concerns me a little bit about Ohio State. Right. So let's go to the Pac-12. We talked uh, Oregon lost to Oregon State, and the chances of a Pac-12 team making the college football playoff, they're gone. They're gone. Now, Oregon was the yeah. only team that I think that had a legitimate chance if that they went undefeated and they won the conference championship conference championship that they can have a discussion to get in they still weren't gonna i don't think they would still get in but they would have a discussion that's that's gone now so usc is now the highest ranked pac-12 team they're at number 19 right now they'll probably move up one or two spots tomorrow because um, texas and oregon the two teams in front of them they lost so but i don't ever see them ever climbing into the the top 10 even if they win the the conference championship but i don't ever see them getting that high and the committee told us what they thought of the Pac-12. When they put Oregon at number 15 after being number 9 in the AP poll, um, so they, they told us what they what they thought of them. And then Washington. Washington's a good team. I think that they'll be in the rankings this week, so don't be surprised if you see them in there. What would be what would be considered a, a successful season for one of these Pac-12 teams? Man, I think you can finish in the top 10, which I would think you know, the Pac-12 champions should do, assuming they win their bowl game. Uh, if you're this USC team, it's not really so much for a lack of your record, it's just going to be a lack of the conference. I think this USC team has a lot of firepower. They've found ways to win games, but not in impressive enough fashion. I don't know that Clay Helton's the man for the job there long term. Um, I think the writing is, has, was on the wall to start the year. I think he might have saved his job with the way they're playing right now. But, I mean, all things considered, you just are not going to have enough big-time wins, especially playing conference-only games for any of these Pac-12 teams to make, to make the playoff. It's unfortunate, but... Um, a good season for these Pac-12 teams, I would say, uh, if USC could finish in the top 10, that would be a phenomenal season and something that nobody would have expected uh, at the end of last year, having them you know, play so poorly in their bowl game to Iowa and looking like Coach Elton maybe on his way out. So um, top 10 would be successful to me and overachieving really to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if they can do that, finish in the top 10, that they could get a major boost in recruiting and they could start to you know, start to take back over California and the West Coast and maybe start to keep some of these kids in state. Um, let's talk about some of the future of these coaches. So you brought up Clay Helton. Um, I know USC fans are, are growing weary of him. Um, but if he's able to go undefeated and they win the Pac-12 and they end up in the in the Rose Bowl, it, it kind of becomes hard to, to get rid of him. I know they've kind of suffered in recruiting with him and the team, you can tell, you can tell that there's, um, what is it? There's a coaching, coaching disadvantage. We saw it in the Arizona state game. What, what becomes a scenario for USC? Do you think that they still try to look for somebody else? They create a short list. Cause you know, they have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point it might be more of an internal hire if they were to move away from Clay Helton, but I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, Kendall, uh, at UCLA, looks like the next game on on Earth at De- December twelfth would be when they play UCLA. I mean, that's going to be a big one if you lose to UCLA. I think they might lose to I mean, that you one. And, you and I both know. Yeah, I think they might. Right, I think they might lose that one right now. It look, I I really I really like UCLA. I like um, what they did up in Oregon. That was really impressive, especially with Chase Griffin coming in. Dorian Thompson Robinson, he might not get his job back low key after um, the way that Griffin's been playing. And then Demetrius Felton, he. 
might be the best Pac-12 running back, him and uh, Jefferson up at Oregon State. But um, they're getting better under Chip Kelly. So I think at yeah. UCLA right now, I would pick UCLA to win that game. No, I'm with you. And I think even having Washington State at home is, is sneaky with you know the new quarterback they have and their new approach to football really no longer doing the air raid of Mike Leach. So uh, it really is going to be a matter of, I think, that UCLA game. You're not going to have the same sample size. Colorado game got canceled. So you're going to have two games left. I think, I mean, obviously, if you win out, it's going to be hard to to get rid of Clay Helton. So uh, I think Clay Helton, and honestly, with, with this year in general, I think it's hard to fire a coach just because this year washed for so many teams for so many reasons. So uh, I think he should stay personally for right now, but I get the frustration with these USC fans and what he's been able to do and performing with this program. All right. So Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, mm-hmm. there's – there's Man. so there's there's a few mysteries in college football that I can't kind of wrap my head around. With Texas, I don't understand why you have so many four and five stars on your roster um, in the state of Texas. Probably can't find a better state of high school football, and they can't develop a defense for anything. Um, and they continue to lose to middle tier Big Twelve teams. And another one is why Michigan can't develop a quarterback under Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, the guy played quarterback in the NFL. He should be the quarterback whisperer. And year after year, we've seen him have underperforming quarterbacks at a place where recruiting is not the problem. You would hope that coaching wouldn't be the problem, given his pedigree. But I'm with you. It, year after year, they just are not successful in allowing these quarterbacks to, to flourish. So that's head-scratcher for me. And honestly, I think one of the question marks for me, you mentioned you mentioned you know mysteries in college football. Jim Harbaugh having a job. I mean, why is he still? Why is he still the guy at Michigan? They've underperformed year. I mean, I get it's a pandemic, but goodness gracious, man! They're, I mean, they haven't gotten it done year after year. They just go up there and have their rivalry game, quote unquote, with Ohio State. That is a glorified scrimmage for these Buckeyes. I mean, oh, no. this it's going to be bad, ugly man. this year. I mean, he's got to do something. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be bad this year. Yeah, it's going to be bad. So I, th- I get the COVID excuse, but at the same time. Everyone is dealing with the COVID excuse, and the good teams seem to still be finding ways to win, and the bad team just got worse. So that speaks coaching to me, Kendall, and I think he needs to go. Uh, I get they love him, and I, I get that's their, their, you know, their golden boy. But at yeah. some point, you got to say enough is enough, man. Yeah, they. It's gotten worse. So like, um, Minnesota, they beat Minnesota, and it kind of looked like they, they kind of had a squad. Like Joe Mellon played well. Yep. They had a plan. They look. Um, more athletic than they've had in years past. Um, then they lose to Michigan State, and that started the this trail that we're in now. And then they um, lose to Indiana, and they go to what was it triple overtime with Rutgers? I think that's as bad as a loss, honestly. That's, yeah, yeah. That is that is as bad as a loss. If he um, if he lost that game, I think they would have pulled a Lane Kiffin on him. They would have left him at the tarmac. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah. Golly. And then they lose Poor to an 0 and five. Yeah, and then they lose to an 0 and five Penn State team. So that is that is officially the end of Jim Harbaugh. He's got to. You can't. You. There's no way you can bring that back. You. I don't know. Like I feel like. So with Jim Harbaugh, he's not. He's not the elite coach that we thought he would be, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's not. We thought because they pay him that he's like $9 million a year. We thought he would be in the Dabble Sweeney and the Nick Saban category. And he's just not. He's just, I don't even think he's a good coach for college at this point. He's just okay. 
Um, yeah. And then, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, he he's done what Michigan's been in the past. So I think mm-hmm. Michigan, Michigan yeah. for me, Michigan fans and Nebraska fans have the same problem that they think their program is better than they actually are. That they think that they should be winning um, the Big Ten championship every year and that they should be competing for national championships, and that's just not where they're at. And they've never yeah. really been that. They've been about a 9-10 win football team throughout history, and that's what Jim Harbaugh's done since his time in Michigan. Um, one more yeah. coach before, uh, before we move on, Tom Harmon. So I know you've been um, – so you're connected inside the Big 12. Sure. This, this is the end, right? <sighs> yeah, you would think so, man. I mean, year after year of underperforming, how, I mean, you mentioned it earlier when you were alluding to Michigan. If you're Texas, you should be recruiting the best in the state. And if not, you're still recruiting pretty well in the state, enough to win, enough to beat Iowa State, enough to, you know, be more dominant over a West Virginia team. Like, Tom Herman has just been the epitome of underperforming. And what that speaks to me, Kendall, is a lack of culture. So, I mean, Brees Hall, the Iowa State running back, said it out. Maybe you saw it on Instagram or yeah. I'm sure you heard the quote. He just said, you know, five-star culture beat five-star recruits today. And, and I think that's so true because as a college football coach, you really are a CEO. You're developing the brand. You're developing the culture. You're developing everything that's going on within that program itself. And so if your culture is bad, it shows. And it doesn't matter how much talent you have. If you have a bad culture in itself, if you have a bad company as a CEO, your team performs poorly. And so we've seen that year after year with Texas, this, this culture that just – isn't translating to winning. I know they had the big Sugar Bowl win against Georgia. I know, you know, we're back with the the <laughs> Sam Ellinger is a great story, but they should be winning more games. And, and Tom Herman, in my humble opinion, shouldn't have a job at the University of Texas after this year. No, yeah, there's three programs in America where you can just hop in your car and recruit. You don't have to get on a plane. You have yep. to go anywhere else. USC, Texas, and Miami, and. Yep. Right now, Texas is the worst of them. They're underperforming. I know UFC is underperformed in years past, and Miami has too. But with Texas, it's it's been the same every year, pretty much since yeah. they lost to Alabama in the national championship game. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. And you honestly, I truly do root for those teams because I think college football is better when some of those blue bloods are performing at a higher level. But, I mean, Tom Herman – got to figure it out because it, it hasn't been a personnel thing for them it's just the culture and you see guys transfer out and it's it's a bunch of things it seems like so texas i know they're not necessarily uh having the worst season ever but if, if you're a texas fan for what you expect from your program some of yeah. what you said with michigan and, and nebraska like you expect to be top 10 competing for championships and somehow every year texas is ranked in the top 10 no matter how poorly they played the year before they're always a hot pick uh in the springtime yeah. to be a playoff team I know Herbstreit had him in his final four, uh, but Texas just it just isn't it right now, man. Yeah, well, uh, JD, want to thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast today, man. Always appreciate you have coming on, man. Anytime, man. I appreciate you. I'm glad that I got to jump on here and, and be a part of this magic you're making. And uh, bro, I'm excited to do it again next week. What do you say? Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, boss.